Abraham heard that song uh, for the very first time about one month ago, Jamie said that the little guy just sat down and he didn't move around. And that's not like that little guy. And when it concluded, he looked up and he says, Mom, that's my son. Abraham was making a statement that he was no longer going to live in the grip of fear and allow it to define him through its lies. He was tired of being scared. He was tired of being told that he would never be good enough and that he would never have a home and never be loved. Well, that little guy's proclamation got me thinking about the destructive nature of fear, how it destroys, how it demoralizes, how it robs us of joy, and how it leads us to despair. And the bottom line is that there are many people today suffering from battling fear, or they know someone that is. So, for the rest of our time together, we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about fear and how we are to overcome fear in our lives. And since I started with this little guy's proclamation, let me just say a firm resolution to stand against fear is needed. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, the Apostle Paul tells us to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And there is no greater scheme or more used lie than the lie of fear that the devil uses. But a resolution that is built upon one's own strength is not enough. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, before that statement as well as after that statement, the Apostle Paul says that enabling us to stand firm is what he calls the armor of God. And he says we need to be fully clothed with that armor. In other words, Paul is saying to take a stand without God's covering is not enough. We need God's spiritual defense. In 1 John 4, 4, Sam referenced it, but we are told that we are overcomers. Now that sounds good, but you've got to hear the second part that Sam said. The reason we are overcomers, the Bible says, is because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. See, the great news is that there is one, and that one is Jesus Christ, and he is greater than anyone or anything in the world. But the implicit understanding in this verse 
is that if we are going to be overcomers, then we need that greater one in our hearts. So if you, if there is anyone here that has been struggling with fear in your own strength, that's not enough. You need God's covering and you need Jesus Christ in your heart. And if there is anyone here today that is having such a struggle in their own strength, then would you please, would you please at the end of this service come up and grab a hold of one of our pastors, one of our elders, and just allow them to spend a couple of minutes with you. I promise you, it will be life-changing. Now, let's move on to the body of this message. And let me just say from the outset, I'm not speaking about having the fear of God. That's a good thing. That's a reverence. That's an awe. That's adoration to the one true God. Nor am I, am I speaking about having a healthy fear of sin. In fact, we are told in 1 Timothy 5.20 that we should be fearful of sinning because it's destructive and it's against God's will. Now today we're talking about the fear that is a liar, the fear that will stymie us, the fear that will paralyze us. You may have heard that the most repeated command in the Bible is the command to fear not or to be not afraid. Just for fun, I looked it up in the New American Standard and I found 130 times where we are told to fear not or to be not afraid in context of what we're speaking about right here. I found that there are verses both in the Old and the New Testament in the command to fear not, such as in Genesis 15.1, God says to Abram, he says, fear not, for I am a shield to you. What, what was Abram fearing at that time? He was fearing that he would not leave a legacy when he departs from this earth because he had no natural born son. He had no one to carry on his blood and, and, and his name and, and he had no one to give his worldly goods to and that was fearful to him. And God says, fear not. In Jeremiah 1.9, the Lord speaks to the young man and he says, do not be afraid of them for I am with you and will rescue you. What, what was Jeremiah afraid of at that time? He was afraid that he could not follow through with what God has called him to do. He did not feel like he had the giftings and the ability to succeed. And God is telling him, listen, if I've called you to the ministry, I will equip you. And then we find over in Mark chapter 6 in the 50th verse, and I, I, I love this story because I can visualize it. Here are the disciples and they're in their little boat on this great big sea of Galilee. And it's dark. It is pitch black outside. 
and they're just a little twinkling of lights coming through, reflecting off the water, and all of a sudden, they see someone or something walking on the water. It says that they were terrified. In the Greek, that means they were fearful to the point of fainting until they heard the master's words, be not afraid, take courage, it is I. Another example in Matthew is in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in the 25th verse all the way through the 33rd verse. Jesus is talking to the people and he's saying, listen, don't be anxious, don't worry, don't be, be concerned about the things of this life, like clothing and food and shelter, right? Now, over in Luke, in the same story, in Luke 12, verse 32, we read that Jesus said to them, fear not. Because of, and because of the Greek tense, it really means to do not allow yourself, okay, do not allow yourself to be put into fear. As if something might take a hold of you and cause you to enter into fear. And that's the worry, that's the anxiety over these things. And, and why did Jesus tell us or tell them not to worry? We go back to Matthew and Jesus summarizes it with these words. Your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. So notice that in each case I just gave you, God's answer to fear is not an argument, and it certainly is not a formula. God's answer in each and every case is a person, and that person is the great I am. So, why do you think that God felt it would be necessary to tell us at least 130 times to fear not. I think it's because fear is a part of this fallen world. It doesn't matter if you're 8 or 80. It doesn't matter if you're going off to college or going off to ministry or if you are planning your retirement. See, Fear can come against any of us at any time. That's really not the issue. The issue is how do we handle fear? Because if fear goes unchecked in a person's life, it will lead them in the wrong direction. And if we go in the wrong direction long enough, then we will have what Paul calls in 2 Timothy the spirit of fear. I just want to share a couple of stories with you based upon Sam's reading this morning. You know the first story. It's found in Genesis. The story really began in the first chapter with God creation. And he creates man and woman. And he gives everything man and woman could possibly want. Gives them a 
beautiful place to live. He gives them a job. They have dominion over everything. And he gives them complete freedom, except for one thing. He says, do not eat of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only thing he said don't do. And what happened? (laughs) Satan, and yes, the serpent in Revelation 12 is revealed to be Satan. Satan comes and deceives Adam and Eve. And how did he do so? Two ways. First, he got Eve to doubt God's word. And second, he got Eve to doubt God's goodness. And whenever the enemy can get us to doubt God's word or his love, his grace, his mercy, his goodness, then he can also, as he did with them, lead us into sin. And so they took of the fruit and they ate. Let me read now the following part of that story. It begins in verse 7 and we'll read through verse 10. It says, Then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. What's the first thing we notice in this reading? Adam and Eve, for the first time in their existence, become uncomfortable in their own skin. But look at the first emotion. In verse 8, we read that they ran and hid themselves with their little leafy loincloth behind the trees from the God who made all this. They hid themselves. But why did they hide themselves? Because verse 10 tells us, because I was afraid. Do you see what fear has done? Fear is not passive, people. Fear drove them to run and hide from the very one that they should have been running towards. See, at that point in time, they only now saw God as a vengeful, wrathful God full of judgment. They no longer could see him as a God that would be accepting to them if they would just repent of what they had done. If they would stop playing the blame game. Because Adam says it's the woman. okay, And, And then he even says, not only is it the woman, it's the woman that you gave to me. Oh, and he'd say, hey, not me, him, the snake. If they would just confess what they had done. 
Isn't that what David did? In Psalms 32, 5, we read from King David, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's the same thing we're told in 1 John 1, 9, that if, if we will confess our sins, then he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the first thing we see in this story is the the tragedy of how fear would cause Adam and Eve to hide from their God but equally sad is it changed the way they looked at God. They now only saw God through the eyes of fear, and it caused a separation. They didn't know that just a short while later, that in verse 21 of that same chapter in Genesis, that the Lord God would make garments of skin, not fig leaves, garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothe them. Thus we have the first blood offering so that man might be covered. And this is but a foreshadow of Calvary. The second story I wanted to tell you also comes from the reading that Sam gave us. You know the story. Moses is called to go to Egypt to talk to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. For God has seen what you are doing to them, how you put them in bondage and slavery. But listen, God did not only want to take his people out of Egypt. He wanted to bring them into a blessing. So it wasn't just taking them out. It was bringing them in. That was God's plan for those children of God. And sure enough, Moses takes them out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They then travel through the wilderness and they come to the very point of the promised land And the Bible tells us that Moses sent out 12 men into the land of Canaan, the promised land, to spy it out. And these 12 men, they come back, and when they come back, they are carrying fruit like the children had never seen before. And the very first thing out of the mouths of those 12 men were that indeed, This land flows with milk and honey. In other words, these 12 men are saying exactly what God said. They're saying, listen, God's right. It flows with milk and honey. But then all of a sudden, 10 of the 12 men, all but a man named Caleb and a man named Joshua, 10 men suddenly 
begin to tell a different story. They begin to talk about the giants in that land. They begin to talk about the fortified city walls. They, they say, look, if we go into that land, we will be squashed. And the thing I want you to know, these ten men were hand-picked by Moses and Aaron. They were leaders. These men were the top men in each of their tribes. And yet they come back totally and completely filled with fear in their life. In fact, in Numbers 13.33, they make this statement. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and thus we were in their sight. Fear first changed the way they saw themselves, but it also changed the way others saw them. Caleb, he stands up and he says, wait a minute, people. God has said this is our land. He has said he will go before us. And if God will go before us, we need to go into that land. We need to do what God has said. God has given us this land. And do you know what the congregation did? They picked up stones to kill both Caleb and Joshua because those two were saying what God said and the other were speaking a lie motivated by fear. Do you see what fear does here? Fear keeps an entire generation. All the people that was taken out of Egypt that were grown-ups, not one of them got to go into the promised land. An entire generation was deprived of taking hold of God's best, God's calling for their lives because of fear. That's what fear can do in our lives. It would be 40 years before God would speak to Joshua and say, now Joshua, all those people who were walking in, the, in fear, they've died. Now, take the children into the promised land that was always for the taking. But before you do it, God says in Joshua 1.9, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God didn't say that all the problems seen in the land have gone. He didn't say the giants are no longer there or that the city walls have fallen down. If that was the case, Joshua would not have needed to be strong. He's saying, Joshua, you be strong because I'll be with you. And that's what we need to know when it comes to struggling with fear. Okay, so we've seen that the Word tells us not to fear. 
We've seen the destructive nature of fear. We've seen that fear will cause us to hide from and run away from the very one who can restore us. And we have seen that fear will keep us from obtaining God's best in our life. Now, let me show just a couple of verses. First one I want to show you is in the Old Testament. It's in Isaiah 41.10. I know of no verse that, that may speak more clearly about how to overcome fear in our lives. 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about. That's what the ten did. They entered into the land flowing with milk and honey. They began to look around, and the more they looked around, the more fear came into them. It says, Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, notice in this verse, there's two commands. To fear not and to not anxiously look about. Well, for some of us, that's easier said than done. But fortunately, in Isaiah, God gives the means by which we can carry out the command to fear not. God doesn't just give us a command to do something like this and then expect us to do it in our own strength. Because, first of all, that will lead to pride because we think that we can do it. And then it will lead to discouragement when we find out that we can never do it. No, God gives us the means, and he does it in five ways. Number one, he says, I am with you. Number two, I am your God. Number three, I will strengthen you. Number four, I will help you. And number five, I will uphold you. Charles Spurgeon said these are the five great pillars. And then he goes on to say that God would never give a command to fear not and just leave it hanging in the clouds. He puts pillars around it. The way we are to overcome fear is to know that God is with us. John Piper states that these five I am's from this verse found in Isaiah can be seen as God's five relations to his people. Think about it. Especially if fear is coming near you. God is telling us that he is by us, over us, inside of us, around us, and underneath us, and he will hold us up, even when we cannot hold ourselves up. There's also a New Testament verse that I think encompasses all of these five I am's. And that passage is a short passage. It's John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30. Listen to Jesus' words. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. Do do you see the picture here? We have the shepherd guarding over us, and then wrapped around the shepherd's hand is the Father's hand. We are completely in the Father's hands and the Father's care as his children, as his sheep, as believers in Jesus Christ. We have that covering all around us. And that's why the Apostle Paul, to end what some might consider the maybe the greatest chapter in the New Testament, Romans 8, and he ends it with these words. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers or height or death or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. If anyone could have had fear in their life, I think it's the Apostle Paul. But he was so convinced that we are so much in the Father's care through Jesus Christ that he said nothing should we be afraid of. I want to close with some little bullet points just to share with you from my study for this teaching today, but let me just say, this this is not an all-inclusive list by any means. I gave you four verses at the very beginning of today's teaching of where Jesus or God says to fear not. Well, there's 126 other ones that you can find. And one of those may be the most important verse in the Bible for you personally. So 130 times when fear comes knocking at our door, door, we need to remember 130 times we are told to fear not. One of the verses that is my favorite, the one that I like to stand on, is found in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God gave us not the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So I hold to that word. It's one of the 130s. Number two, if fear has entered into your life because you have walked away from God, you've committed a sin, a known sin, don't be like Adam and Eve and go hide and blame others. Own up to it. Confess it before the Lord just like David did in Psalms 33, 5, remembering the words from 1 John that if we will confess it, then he will cleanse us. Third, immediately, immediately, when you sense 
fear knocking at your heart's door. Maybe over something you've seen on TV, over something someone said, maybe it's something that happened long ago in your life. Immediately take that struggle to the Lord in prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says that we are to be anxious about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we are to make our requests known unto God. And then it says, and then the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And that, that's where fear attacks us, in our hearts and in our minds. Go immediately to God in prayer. And be sure and ask the great I am to be over you, around you, and in you, just like 41.10 says. King David in Psalms 139, he said, if I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the lower parts of the earth, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. Know that the great I am is all around you and in you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Oh, ask God, ask God to give you a sound mind filled with his word so that you can meditate on it. Before that verse in Joshua 1, 9 about Joshua being strong and courageous, before that verse was Joshua 1, 8. That's where God says that this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night. That word meditate in the Hebrew means to allow it just to revolve in your mind. Let it mumble out of your mouth. Find the word of God that speaks to your heart and keep it in the forefront of your sight. Next. Ask God to fill your heart with his love. We're told in 1 John 4, 18, that there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. God wants our hearts to be filled with his love. Next, surround yourself faithful friends who will pray with you, will minister with you, and will cover you while you go through this struggle. And then finally, be like little Abraham and say, fear, you're a liar. Can you say amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Before I close this in prayer, let me just once again say if there is anyone, anyone here that is struggling with 
fear, especially if you're struggling with it in your own strength. But if you're struggling with fear and you would like one of the pastors or one of the elders or, or me to pray with you and talk with you, we'll be here after the service. Heavenly Father, our gracious and loving and good and kind God who is willing to be in us and around us, willing to uphold us, protect us, guard us. We thank you. We thank you that we don't battle the spirit of fear in our own strength. We thank you, God, that we have you. And greater are you who is in us than anything anything that is in the world. Father, my prayer is that you will cover each and every person here today. They'll walk out with encouragement and not with a anxiousness or a worrisome spirit because you, our loving God, know everything that we need and you are the provider so thank you